Welcome back everyone to a new episode. We got a double guest episode today and I must admit that I have been a little bit nervous to do this one because both of the guests is more educated in crypto than I'll probably ever be. Um, so we won't be able to bullshit my way out of this one so I'll try to, to keep up with you guys. Um, so with that, welcome to the podcast Mikko and Levante. Hi everyone, good to be here. Hello, hello. Thanks, thanks for uh, inviting and happy to be here. It's wonderful that both of you guys were able to do this. Um, so before we start like talking back and forth uh, around the crypto space, I would like both of you guys to introduce yourself. We can start off with uh, Levante. Uh, just tell me a little bit about how you entered into crypto and like where, how you came to where we are today and stuff like that. I'm happy to do so. Um, so yeah, um, I come from engineering background. My formal education is in mechatronics engineering, which it's like a combination of all the mechanical, electrical, and software engineering fields. Um, and then I started working in embedded systems in telecommunications in Scandinavia, actually. Um, but, you know, when I was um, studying at university, I heard about this magical thing called crypto. And I started following the space, reading about stuff. And soon I realized it's it excites me more than the job which I'm doing. So why not use my engineering skills to make something good in this space? And on that note, I actually uh, was looking around for which projects to join and IOTA caught my attention. So I did apply to them I'm back in 2018 for a job as a software engineer, which they happily refused or rejected for the first two times <laughs> due to some unfavorable market conditions. Uh, but eventually I made it, I made it in 2019. So I joined the company 2019 summer uh, and started working on, um, on the Python client lib for the now legacy IOTA network. Um, but you know, I mean, I'm kind of a curious person. So after a while, it just didn't really uh, please my appetite. So I kind of went into more advanced stuff and I joined the applied research team who were building the core decide uh, prototype, which is called GoShimmer. I think many of you who are listening to this podcast um, have seen it or tried it. Um, and yeah, there I've worked with, with the big names in the company like Hans, Angelo or all the other people who are really good researchers trying to figure out how, how to build um, the Cordyside solution, and I was the voice of reason in the team, kind of trying to tell everyone what is possible and what is not possible from an engineering point of view, and what is reasonable to build and what is not. So I spent one and a half years working in that group. Um, in the meantime, also collaborated with Evaldas, who is heading the smart contract development. Um, so yeah, kind of. Um, <clears throat> started working on that and bits by bits basically um, developed a concept for how we can actually make smart contracts happen on IOTA. Um, and about a year ago, when we kind of released last summer the Nectar release of the GoShimmer node, that was the point where we were kind of confident that we have now a prototype which works for smart contracts. 
Then came the IFC beta release last year, which demonstrated that it can work. Uh, you can run layer two blockchains on top of IOTA. And ever since I've been focusing on trying to um, properly uh, spec out and design the Stardust protocol version, which will be the next generation IOTA protocol uh, that actually makes it possible possible uh, to transform IOTA base layer into an infrastructure layer capable of handling, handling um, smart contract chains running on top of it. So in a nutshell, that's my journey to IOTA. Mm -hmm. uh, I've had many ups and downs, but I'm really happy that I made this decision to switch from the corporate life to crypto because it's just more fun. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I guess that it's quite like... Um like busy days these days when you're rolling out um, Shimmer and Stardust and all that. Yeah, it's really, you know, like um, there are so many things to, to think about. Uh, actually, the really challenging part of this job is since you are designing a protocol and once you put it out there, it's kind of immutable. So you have to anticipate a lot of, a lot of future problems, which you know, might only discover when, when you actually interview solutions. So it's a lot of guesswork and a lot of uh, a lot of work, brain work to mm. figure out yeah. what the future will need. On the outside, it looks like things are going great now. Well, I'm happy that that's the case. Yeah. From the inside, we are also kind of confident that we are after after months of of discussions and back and forth uh, iterations, we are now kind of confident and happy with what we have developed. So I'm. I'm looking forward to the Shimmer release, and I'm looking forward uh, to the day when, when um, external parties or, or projects or community people can, you know, make use of what we built. Because essentially, that's what that's why we are doing it to develop a technology to empower other people to build with it. Uh, and I just can't wait to the day that it's live and it's happening, and I see, you know, transactions flowing from smart contract chains to smart contract chains and whatnot. Mm, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too as well. Um, so we can move out to Mikko. Could you introduce yourself? Yeah, my pleasure. So uh, my name is uh, Mikko Ohtama, originally from Finland, but uh, living in uh, Gibraltar nowadays. I got into crypto quite early. So I was uh, CTO of one of the first Bitcoin exchanges in the world called Local Bitcoins. Uh, this was 2013. I was working with Bitcoin, Diamond, and all of that stuff, cryptocurrency security exchange, and so on. Uh, then 2016, uh, I, I started to look Ethereum. I was one of the first uh, smart contract developers and probably the first uh, smart contract auditor. I did the audit of the first blood ICO contracts back in 2016, September. And uh, nowadays, uh, I'm uh, I'm running uh, my own company. Uh, I'm a CEO of a comp company called uh, TradingStrategy.ai, and we are basically uh, doing a algorithmic trading protocol for DeFi. So it's it's uh, like yield farming, but instead it's it's uh, doing active trading where the strategies are buying low and selling high. Wonderful. So so you've been in for quite quite a lot of time now. Um... What would you say is the biggest difference from back then and now? Uh, I, I would say like 
in early days it was it was more about the uh, hardcore uh, crypto anaxi like like nobody cared about the price it was more about uh, showing the world the different way and showing 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 a way that's different from the Wall Street or your banks or your or your government but nowadays everybody is more or less like a sucker for money from the banks sucker for institutions and it it has like a, the cost has lost its roots very much so it's more about like pumping the price and uh, mm. seeing seeing where we get more adoption yeah I, I agree on that i can imagine that was a quite a lot nicer place to be around uh, back in the days when everyone was on kind of the same team everyone was everybody was working for the same goal right to get the adoption to get this working and to like prove to the world that is actually a usable technology while now it feels like i tr- actually i try to um to make it similar to like champions league where you have all these different teams and you're supposed to hate all the other teams and you have to war each other and call each other names and and then yeah, just fire it up and it's, it's, i hope it's uh, able to change that everybody's like right are able to get more around each other and and be adaptive and work to, because everyone is going to the same goal here uh, it's not it's not, not like a big loser or a big winner unless like you're just after the the pump and dump um like what what type of shortcomings do we have today would you say in like the general blockchain crypto space what we're we missing uh uh i i would say there is still a lot of lot of things to do uh most of it it's going to be education like uh, people uh people don't know how to use wallets they don't know how to use private keys. Uh, some say that uh, uh, better UX, better web services and so on will, will, will come and the people will use everything like they use uh, Facebook today. Uh, I, I don't believe it's true. It, it's uh, what, what we are doing on a blockchain is uh, fundamentally different when you are owning your own keys and data than what, what you are doing with, with uh, Web2. So uh, people, people need to uh, learn this new concept. But I, I I'm not that hopeless. So uh, it it will take time. So people people learned to use mobile phones back in nineties. Also, mm-hmm. uh, when people started to use email, like early two thousand, we had a problem with these uh, Nigerian scam emails. Uh, Nigerian prince was sending you an email and promised you money, and uh, you got scammed. And uh, yeah, it was it was a big thing back in the day. But nowadays, no, nowadays, like nobody remembers those and. Uh, we just uh, solved the problem with education. Mm, yeah, yeah. Education is a big thing. Um, user-friendly, like wallets and all that, is a it's a must to get people involved. Because if you get into a bad, a bad wallet where everything is just messed up and things is slow and things is like unsafe, then you will lose the people before they're able to educate themselves. Um, but a big topic that is being discussed everywhere, like every every crypto forum you go into, this this one topic, it's decentralization. Um, what would you say is the like the the basics, and who is doing it the best at the moment? Uh, uh I would say, uh, it it depends. Like it it it's 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 not like uh. Uh, you you need to define the goal, how how much decentralization you need to have and why, and uh, uh, it, it's it's a spectrum. It's not like a binary. Let's say that the bi- uh, Bitcoin is the most decentralized network in the world for blockchains, but uh, Bitcoin is is 
is pretty crap. Like it doesn't do anything useful. So uh, why to have that much of decentralization if Bitcoin protocol is is uh, uh, dump as a boot? Hmm. Uh, and uh, I have been discussing with lawyers and others like what's the what's the threshold can, that can be defined. Of course, there's not uh, there isn't a single number that you can define. Okay, this is decentralized or this is not. But usually, usually uh, they say that okay, if you have uh, more than uh, let's say uh, fifteen independent parties, and uh, founders don't have control, like founders' control is is, is way below fifty uh, percent, like in small tens. Uh, it is quite safe to say that if if there isn't a single party that can change the parameters, it is decentralized. And uh, other other uh, other way to see is, is that. Uh, would would uh, SCC uh, be able to take it down, and uh, if if the regulators or if the police or anybody can't stop it anymore, then it's it's, it's truly decentralized. Mm. I have this. And uh, 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 sorry, I have to and, agree with what, what you said. Um, just a small note from my side is that I think the keyword um, forward is not just, or the pure goal shouldn't be just decentralization, but distribution. And like a distributed system is fault tolerant. It has, you know, cannot be easily taken down. But at the end of the day, um, I just don't think that something will get mass adoption and also be regulated because these two kind of go hand in hand. Like people won't use services if they are not regulated. And to get regulated, the full decentralization is kind of going against what regulation needs, needs uh, or at least um, that's my understanding. Yeah, and that it's it's a good point. And uh, other other, uh, and I would say if we, if we go to a, a coin market cap or maybe a coin cap today, and we take the top one hundred projects there, uh, I would say most of them are uh, pretty decentralized, uh, unless unless you count the new newcomers like games. So uh, everything like in in top ten under DeFi protocol like oh, but they are they are pretty decentralized already mm. and um i'm not sure how familiar you are with the uh, the core decide events of iota Mika, um with removing the coordinator and all that is that is that a solution that that you would be be like willing to say that it's it's going to work if you're familiar with it yeah i i i know it somewhat and uh, it's not unique it's not uh unique for uh iota like there are uh, other networks that you have uh a set of coordinators or validators that are set there by a governance and uh it, it it's it's a cool trade-off like it, you need always trade things like speed and security and uh upgradability so uh it, it's a good model yeah one thing which i would like to add here is like the <clears throat> final aim or the final goal with the core side project is that to make the protocol, at least on paper, um, permissionless and fully decentralized. But it doesn't mean that in practice, like uh, all of these other chains as well, like what you mentioned, they are decentralized. But if you, if you look at, for example, proof of stake or delegated proof of stake chains, then you also have to look at how are the, the, the stakes um, like distributed among the network participants, because you know, stakes secure the network, uh, but who has the stakes? Who has the final say? 
And Cordicide has a really democratic, uh, the final um, solution for Cordicide has a really democratic take on this, which means that um, since it's kind of a delegated proof of stake, what we call the mana system, um, it is actually depending on the usage of the network um, and the active stake, which is uh, currently issuing uh, blocks, uh, which depend, which basically uh, defines uh, what level of decentralization will be achieved in a network. So even though we have a protocol which on paper is fully decentralized in practice or in reality, it will be only decentralized to an extent um, which is determined by the distribution of funds or stakes in the network. And I guess that is like a general truth for all the others as well, is that if, if you run like a proof of authority chain, of course, it's not the case. But if you look at Ethereum 2.0, then again, like who owns the most stake uh, is dictating what happens in the network. Uh, yeah, it, it, it's a good, good uh, measurement. And they, I think there's, uh, there's even a technical term or number you can calculate how I think it was called the Satoshi coefficient, like how how decentralized the uh, staking is. Yeah, there is like the like empirical low called CPAP distribution, which which basically tells you if you look at the allocation of funds in the network, they follow a similar uh, logarithmic scale. Uh, and I think this has been found true for most of the crypto projects out there. And um, like there are slight variations, of course. Uh, but generally, they all, all follow this, this route. So, for example, one example when we have to take this into account when developing the Cordyside solution is we ran simulations on the state distribution, like what happens in the network in case of different fund distribution and who are active and who are actually casting votes. Um, so we ran like several scenarios and several uh, cases. Uh, and in the end of the day, as far as I can remember, it was always like, you know, like the top 100 addresses in the network, if they decide to go right, then it doesn't matter if the 100,000 left uh, decide to go left. It's basically uh, the top 100 holders will always dominate whatever is happening in the network. Yeah, but on, on the other hand, it, it's not that straightforward because uh, if there is a major, uh, major party that's dominating the network, the others can always they can always fork the network and they just decide because in the end uh uh voting and so on it's good for uh it's it's a good for let's say everyday or yearly governance but in the end it comes to the fact that uh, it comes to the so social consensus and if the developers leave and start the other network and uh, exchanges and the users go there then it doesn't matter how many tokens you have yeah i really like it you brought it up like the social consensus topic is i mean we are engineers we are building protocols and whatever but at the end of the day if people decide to use something else that you cannot fight it so at the end of the day it will at the end of the day it will always be social consensus which like drives adoption or what happens yeah. in the network yeah like yeah and 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 for that i would like to come back to the earlier point about the regulation i i don't really believe that the, any of the users they don't care about regulation they don't understand about regulation they don't understand the regulation might make things worse for them they just care that the service work and uh, they are not going to wait for regulation maybe maybe if you are a bank but on the other hand uh 
we are building a systems that are supposed to replace banks. So we shouldn't bend over for banks and uh, uh, make it easy. Uh, it would be better if we make a network that works for the users and they can make payments than we make a network that works for banks. Yeah, like working for the users is actually the, the good, good approach here. And I mean, I personally think that like um, how to solve or how to optimize for working for users um, I mean, I really like this approach in the, in the DLT space that code is low or code is king. Of course, you have to have a certain level of, of um, technical skills to be able to verify what is working with code, or you have to rely on auditors um, like yourself, Miko, to, to trust uh, that something is doing what it does. But in my personal opinion, it's um, the big benefit of this whole crypto is that you can verify what happens uh, and then you can trust it. And you can also like put the, like, um, it's not like the current financial system is not regulated. Of course it is regulated, but how do you enforce those regulations and laws? And if you put these um, laws and regulations into code, which means that the system inherently um, enforces these, then I think that's already a huge improvement um, of the crypto space or DLTs in general, not talking about decentralization at all. Hmm. And um, I know you can't um, can't give any ETAs or anything about about like the removal of the co coordinator, but are you able to tell us a little bit what's the state of of that process? Like how far in, oh, away from it are we? Like roughly. <laughs> yeah, you know, like one thing I learned working for IOTA is always um, I always get these questions of when and when yeah. um, but since we are dealing with a lot of you know uncertainties and also a lot of unknowns in the future I cannot for sure give you like a definite date what I can tell is that if you look at the IOTA DevNet 2.0 which is basically the core design prototype especially in the last two three months uh, a lot of the concepts and the code was cleaned up and it is demonstrated to work. So why is it not being pushed already uh, to uh, Shimmer or the Shimmer testnet or whatever? It's because, you know, we are um, uh, at the IOTA Foundation have limited resources at our disposals. So you clearly have to set, you know, the, the steps how, how you achieve your final goal and we are kind of playing the long-term game here so the first priority um, is to equip the protocol with utility and by utility we mean smart contracts and tokens basically make it so that anyone can develop their own project because historically speaking iota was just a pure cryptocurrency it could do only transferring money from A to B and that's it. This is the thing which is going to change with Stardust. So all our development efforts, which are um, kind of um, developing the end products or the end components, they are now focusing on getting this Stardust thing ready with the launch of Shimmer and porting it to the IOTA mainnet later, I hope this year. So what happens in the meantime is that the, the group of researchers uh, or applied researchers as well, they are refining the, the, the prototype of Cordicide um, step by step. So as soon as all the resources from 
Stardust, our developer resources are freed up, we will see like an iteration, like iteratively uh, adding all those smaller and smaller components to the protocol itself, which will eventually take us to Cordicide. So to answer your question, how far Cordicide is, well, depends on what you define as Cordicide, because do you define it as when we have, you know, like these and these components are ready, or do you define it where when we have everything ready? And by everything ready, I think it's a, it's a misjudgment to, to say that everything is ready because in software engineering, there is just no thing as fully ready. There will always be improvements. There will always be developments. Of course, there are milestones along the road. So I think the first milestone will be adding utility with Stardust. Second milestone is going to be refactoring all the protocol, well, not the protocol, but all the node implementations to anticipate the different, uh, like the protocol changes coming from the GoShimmer node or that team. And once that happens, the next step is going to be module by module, basically introducing these components on Shimmer and then pushing them to IOTA. So, well, now that I think about it, like when I, when I hear myself saying it loud, you know, uh, I kind of have the feeling it might be many months uh, until uh, eventually the coordinator can be fully turned off. But in the meantime, you will see gradually appear, like these new models appearing, which will make it way like obvious that we are on the road and we can see the line at the end of the tunnel. Mm, yeah. Do you have any comments with that, Miko? Yeah, it, it, it's it's uh, interesting developments. Uh, I know IOTA has very uh, very uh, troubled past and uh, happy that it's it's moving to a direction that it will uh, it will uh, will create more utility for its users, and uh, it's it's going to be in interesting uh, interesting race. Like uh, as 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 far as I I was reading the simmer and the other documentation today how to uh, how to have uh, smart contracts on layer two and it's it's pretty much similar to uh, what uh, uh, polkadot is doing with its uh, parachains there is a chain called moonbeam that's having a web assembly smart contracts then there's uh, some chains for evm and also on a cosmos ecosystem uh, cosmos itself is just like a hub and uh, you can deploy your own chains uh, you have a smart contract based chains. Uh, one is, I think, famous is called EVM OS that's doing EVM. And then there's a Juno that's doing a WebAssemble based smart contracts. And uh, they they are all pretty much converged to this uh, same, same, uh, same kind of a model that you have a different chains and uh, then you have a, a shared security between those. Mm. And uh, yeah, uh, the challenge here for IOTA will be that it's it's uh, they started early, but they are at the moment they are a little bit behind what everybody else is doing. So uh, uh, things for Cosmos are moving already. There are already developers and applications there, and uh, it will be a uh, every day. It will be a harder to a harder to uh, IOTA to justify. Like why why would some some developer come to a uh, their chain? Doing web assembly smart contracts that you can do the basically same same thing uh, for uh, 
tens of different chains already. That, and that's that's going to be the challenge for IOTA for the next year. Yeah, I can totally agree that this is going to be like a huge challenge. And yeah, we have some troubled past. Um, so, I mean, I think we kind of, at least um, like before I was joining the company, I also followed their progress and, uh, but only when I, when I really dug myself deep into how this thing works uh, is when I figured out, you know, like the mistakes we made in the past. And I think it was more like focusing too much on, on pure, um, like uh, purity of the protocol, so to speak. So we wanted to have the perfect solution, which is the best solution, but of course the work doesn't work like that. So you cannot build the perfect solution uh, and then just release it. You have to go in iterations and, you know, we took some wrong turns here and there, um, but in the last two, three years, we are kind of trying to realign the focus of who works on what. Um, and yeah, like uh, I am reflecting back to, to the similar ecosystems. I think that it's really similar to Cosmos, especially uh, to Polkadot. Yes, I see the, the, the similarities, but we have some significantly different way of spinning up these, these side chains. So there is no auction for the side chains. You can have as many chains as you wish as the technology can support. So in this sense, it's more like the Cosmos um, ecosystem. Um, and yeah, um, this, this architecture of, of having, uh, you know, like horizontal scaling with smart contract chains, which can, by the way, talk to each other in Cosmos, I believe through the Cosmos Hub or IBC, uh, in, in IOTA and Shimmer, it will be the base layer, which is providing this functionality itself. So this is something which we deliberately designed for because we see that this is the setting which would work in the real life scenario. And this is a setting which could you know, easily handle a lot of transaction traffic in the different chains while not necessarily um, like using uh, or polluting the layer one. Mm. Yeah. yeah yeah it's 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 super inter interesting to see what, what, what will happen there yeah um you also mentioned cosmos uh miko um like what type of advantages do you see in cosmos compared to what iota can offer um i i, I would say uh yeah uh as a disclaimer i i, I was uh last uh last weekend i was in the uh seoul uh South Korea, and I participate in Cosmos Hackathon, so I, I got a good feeling what's going on there. And uh, I would say what what's uh, what's uh, uh, problem pro a problem for anything uh, European based. Uh, what I think IOTA most is, I uh, I think the only other European chain we have is uh, Elrond from uh, Romania, and uh, challenge between the European based. Uh, foundations and teams against every, everybody else, like Cosmos in Asia and whatever comes from the Silicon Valley is that uh, these guys, uh, they know how to uh, do marketing better. They know how to uh, do adoption better. They, they know how to, uh, how to uh, grow. And uh, just focusing on, on, on technology itself is not always, always the solution, especially if you are doing it uh, alone in a vacuum. And what Cosmos has done that it has been able to grow an ecosystem, so they are, they are chains, they are they are users, and uh, uh, 
it has had its own problems, similar as, as uh, IOTA has had its own problems in the past. But uh, despite all the crypto winter and despite all the all the market crisis recently, I think uh, Luna was a very big hit for Cosmos. But it, it's still going on and it's still like uh, already live and growing in the numbers of users and developers. And that's the I think the main difference. Mm. And um, I know you're uh, very into Rust. Uh, Rust-based projects like Solana and Nier, is there any clear advantages to them? Uh, yeah. Uh, only thing I can say, like, I, I don't know what blockchain will be the blockchain of the future, but I know that it's going to be written in a Rust and the smart contracts are going to be written in Rust because Rust is such a, a uh, gate changer for uh, system programming and uh, security programming that uh, everybody wants to uh, adopt Rust or some kind of uh, layer on the top of the Rust if you need to uh, simplify the syntax. Hmm. Do you have anything to say about that, Levi? I just have a question. Like, do you think it's already time that we should focus everything on Rust development? Because uh, as I see it, we are at a stage where there is still a lot of um, additional resources and developers are needed to be pulled into the whole crypto space to reach that level of, of uh, capabilities that we can, you know, like support uh, in so many use cases. So um, I understand the benefits of Rust, uh, but I also understand it's kind of a steep learning curve for newcomers. Um, so how would you approach this or how do you think about this problem? Like, do you think it's possible? to attract the newcomers with Rust? Or is it only like an, uh, part of an optimization stage later that you convert all your smart contracts to Rust while letting also developers develop in the more popular uh, smart contract languages like Solidity or whatever other language there, are, there is out there? Yeah, that, that that's a tough question. And uh, uh, it, it all comes to uh, like, uh, there's no right or wrong answer. It all comes to a timing. At the moment, like uh, EVM and uh, EVM-based chains and the Solidity is dominating, but uh, everybody who has been in this industry for long enough, probably not the newcomers because they haven't seen anything else. They, uh, they, uh, the old timers see the problems with the EVM architecture and Solidity, and uh, it it will probably stick around for long. Like we are still using a uh, Java, for example. But can can newcomers use Rust? Uh, I would say likely yes. Like it, it's getting adopted elsewhere. It's being adopted by Google and Microsoft for the enterprise software. And uh, if you if you if you have your own uh, in-house uh, programming language like Solidity, it can't it can't grow as fast as a generic purpose programming language like Rust that's being used in a web browsers and everybody else everywhere else. The, the Rust is difficult. Uh, you can you can also have other languages that target uh, web assembly, like uh, assembly script that's used Pioneer that makes it a little bit simpler. And uh, I still see like a lot of these Rust smart contracts. They have, uh, especially on Cosmosm, they have a lot of uh, boilerplate, and it's almost impossible to write them, uh, write them by hand. I was checking out the uh, the, the the example you have. I think it's called. Uh, Fair rollet for your smart contracts yeah. earlier today, and I was actually I was I liked the syntax, I liked the how it was organized, and it's actually a simple Rust that some other 
other projects have. So uh, it's a good progress. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, like the way we try to approach this problem of which language is going to win or which language will be the smart contract programming language is that we build the ISC solution to be agnostic of the actual processing virtual machine. So currently, if you look at our, our ISC documentation, you can see that the whole like a virtual machine logic is, is separated and modularized, meaning that within one smart contract chain, you can deploy an EVM smart contract, you can deploy a WASM smart contract, you can even write smart contracts in Go or assembly script if you wish. And the way it works is that you have these VM processors pluggable into the whole uh, technology. So if people, are, you know, they are more familiar with EVM, they can happily develop their smart contracts in there. And in the future, or in the meantime, Rust gets more popular and, and more adopted. Uh, what we, I mean, we don't have to change the, the base uh, architecture of our layer two solutions. All we need to do is plug in a different VM and it's ready to run. Yeah. And uh, this is approach that uh, uh, are taken by somebody, so some other projects as well, like near they have their well, on near they have they actually say it's one VM but two languages. On Cosmos you get the different VMs on side chains, but the problem is that if you if you if you create a, a general purpose approach, is that uh, you spread your resources too thin. Like you are creating uh, three different VMs that all are crap instead of having a one good VM. And uh, and. Uh yeah, just a quick um, like uh, answer to that is that I mean we want we don't want to develop everything ourselves in house. So it would be lovely if, for example, some other projects who are building their highly specialized VM just you know can plug it into whatever technology we have. So we don't intend to you know favor one or the other. It's basically let the market decide which is going to be used. Yeah, and uh, I I don't think that's that's uh, you need to be a little bit more more careful with that because if you if you let them if you let if you let the market decide uh they probably uh the users might go somewhere else so it, it's better to decide on behalf of the users and have a something unique you can offer for them like if, if it's a better somehow what are the unique selling points and one one thing I, I i know for sure like even if evm is easy to support like there's there's nothing uh IOTA can offer from uh, EVM or solidated developers and users. They are like, uh, there are already 100 EVM chains out there uh, outside the main top three, uh, Ethereum, Polygon, Binance Smart Chain, and maybe uh, all the L2s on the top of Ethereum. There's so much competition and uh, uh, there's no point to create one more EVM chain because you would be fighting over the same same users. You would you would be fighting over from the same liquidity mining incentives, and uh, uh, I don't I don't think it's how 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 you can beat that game. Yeah, I mean, totally makes sense. I mean, we do still have some unique capabilities in the ISC core. I'm not talking about the virtual machines, but the core itself. One of them being the. Um, random number generator from the consensus uh, of the layer two nodes, which I'm not sure I've seen in other chains without oracles. 
Yeah, yeah, and and especially like fo focusing also on those unique selling points and focusing applications around them. Uh, that's that's the, probably the way to go, and uh, and also like all, always remember remember that there are other other people doing the same thing. Like Binance, they have a one billion ecosystem fund to dump on their chain. Like they have so much more resources, so need to be a need to be a smart how to uh, allocate the resources. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good advice. So thank you for pointing this out, Mika. It's super interesting to hear, hear you guys talk among each other. I can just sit here and listen. Um, but I, another topic that is popping up everywhere is also scalability. Um, if I'm not mistaken, uh, please correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I think I saw Hans, Hans Moog, which is an IoT developer, uh, doing a tweet where he said that once all the components are combined, IoT would be um, the most uh, like advanced uh, DLT out there and that you couldn't be able to create a better one. Um, what's your guys' take on that? Well, my take, uh, having worked with Hans, is that he's really enthusiastic. Um, and of course, uh, we can build a great system. Um, but I mean, I kind of refrain from, from saying that, that uh, any other thing is crap and we are the best because, you know, like there are way more, mm. well, Way more people and way more smart people as well working on the same problems as we do so yeah kind of have to be humble in this in this um although i think one advantage which we have um is deliberately keeping the settlement layer or the infrastructure layer meaning layer one what we call today iota network deliberately keeping it simple um and also using the utxo uh, ledger model to model the trend, the, the actual ledger. Why I say that this is, is great, because actually with this, there is the possibility to parallelize transaction processing, which is kind of problematic in, um, in other blockchains, which use the account model where you have to run everything serialized, or you have to find some clever tricks, how you can you know, find out if transactions do not touch the same state. Um, so, I think maybe that's what he's referring to, that this parallel nature of the base ledger is kind of paving the way for increasing the throughput. But of course, it has also downsides. So it has also UX penalties, and it also has uh, some certain, like some different way of thinking about how you write smart contract. Yeah, and uh, one, one thing that's also like, uh, as an advice from, uh, iota that uh if you if you go to your current websites if you go to uh iota if you go to a uh, simmer it's it's still very much focused on free transactions and uh i don't think this is a real problem like uh, on solana that has smart contracts your transactions are not free but they are like uh, fractions of fractions of cents like it's 0.0001 one cent per transaction and uh uh that problem has already been solved and if you, if you want to just have a dump chain like UTXO chain where you send money around you can already use uh, Ripple and you can already use uh, even even a Solana for that so uh, I don't think there is that much of demand of uh, UTXO based solutions otherwise they would have already won because the first Bitcoin the first blockchain of Bitcoin was uh, 
UTXO and then people moved away from that. Yeah, I mean, I still think there are some some ways you can improve, especially like if you treat UTXOs as state machines themselves. So basically you deploy your own VM into a UTXO and it might still have some curves, uh, but in my opinion or my personal opinion at least, uh, it's kind of the convenience of developing smart contracts on top of account-based ledgers is what drew people so far away from Bitcoin and UTXOs. So right now what we are trying to do is kind of a hybrid approach in which the infrastructure layer is scalable, parallelizable, and using your words, a little bit dumb. And on the layer two, with all these smart contract chains, you have the convenience and, and basically you can spin up as many chains as you want, which use the underlying UTXO layer for cross-chain transfers, but otherwise they are kind of uh, within their own account-based system. Uh, I, I have one question. So uh, regarding uh, IOTA uh, future architecture. So if, if, if I want to, uh, let's say that I want to spin up my own chain. So uh, what do I need? Do I need to have uh, developers? Do I need to have validators? Do I need to have money? How does it happen? <clears throat> well, in the, in the future, when you will have um, basically this delegated proof of state consensus mechanism, what you will need for your chain is you have to have this resource called mana, which is basically, let's just for simplicity, say you need funds. And then once you have funds, you basically can buy bandwidth with these funds and you are ready to go. You just need to you know, define the parameters for your own chain, whether you want to have fixed validators, whether you want to have uh, smart contract based on an option or rotating or choosing the, the leader, like the, choosing the committee, which is going to run the chain. It's basically customizable to what you want. And then, then when it, when it, when it's there, like, uh, to keep it run, keep it running, like who, how how is it is it like every user will pay the cost or is there like uh, uh, I do I need to have any, eh, yeah or do I need to run kind of any any kind of relayers or any kind of that stuff? Yeah. So the thing is that um, you need to like you if you spin up a chain uh, and you want you let's say you said uh, this is my chain so. Uh, I'm choosing who the validators are, then of course you have to ensure that there is infrastructure which runs the validator nodes. Um, then how you maintain it is basically you ask for, um, for transaction fees on layer two inside your chain, which give economic incentives to the validators to keep the chain up and running. Is that, was that your question or did I miss it? Yes, yes, that was my question, and uh, and and uh, like uh, in the end, in the end, I think there's uh, there's uh, only uh, two answers here. Uh, one one is that uh, you have a shared security, like in a Polkadot, that uh, after after you have your parachain slot or whatever it's called, uh, Polkadot main chain will take care of your security. Or the second approach, which sounds like what IOTA is doing and what Cosmos is doing at the moment, but they try to get rid of it. it it's that every chain needs to have its own uh, 
validators and uh, archive nodes and all of that stuff. And uh, it, it's uh, interesting to see uh, what of these approaches will will be uh, will be the winner in the future. You know, like our kind of bet is on on the second approach with the small, well, kind of idea there that once the zero knowledge proofs become so viable, and what I mean viable is basically practically runnable so that it doesn't take hours or days to produce a proof and you solve the data availability, data availability problem, then you can already have shared security for ISC chains as well, even if you run the validator nodes, because the network will be able to verify if a correct state transition happened. Um, so basically you can leverage the security of the layer one to validate what is happening in layer two. I'm not saying that it's out there today, but conceptually this is the end game or the long game for IOTA, I guess. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's an end game for many projects, like especially on Ethereum, you are now having, uh, I think actually right today, uh, Mr. Uh, Vitalik Buterin published a blog post where he discussed different uh, serenoly proof-based uh, scaling approaches and uh, he names, he, he, he explains the differences and the trade-offs between each other and also names the projects that are building uh, ZK uh, uh, layer tools, and uh, you are probably right. Like it's it's going to be the future, and it, it's going to be a uh, the next uh, next uh, gold rush to blockchains when we finally get there. Because then we have uh, then we have so much more resources uh, with with uh, less less uh, overhead, so to say. Yeah, it's like. It's like the magic, you know, like it's the magic when Bitcoin popped up, when zero knowledge proof technology is advanced enough, it's going to feel like magic is happening and you can just kill everything and uninsured security. And it's going to be a nice word. I'm looking forward to it if it happens. Um, regarding one thing, uh, I got a question from, from, uh, from a mate of mine. Uh, if I could ask Miku about your take on ZK EVM. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there are three major projects I know of is, is the Starknet. Uh, then we have, uh, uh, ZK Sync and then we have, uh, Oh my God, I can't even remember the name, but there's like a four, four projects there. Yeah. And, uh, uh, for all of these, like I ask, like, okay, you get an EVM and okay, you have a new EVM chain and, uh, th then what, what chains is it better? The answer is, is no. So it, it's still going to be the same EVM chain. And, uh, I also ask, like, are they going to solve like, for example, uh, minor extra value problem or med problem. And uh, I couldn't get the direct answer from uh, any of the any of the Z Z ZK chains. And so one answer was that we don't want to tell yet because others will copy it. Mm. And uh, uh, the thing is that, okay, you have uh, you, you have scaled up, but it's still still going to be an EVM. So uh, that's, that's like, uh, is that so in 
there's there's nothing interesting for me as a developer because if I want to use a EVM chain, I can just already go to a Polygon or a Binance Smart Chain. Yeah, and uh, he also was wondering about what's your take on uh, bridges in light of the recent hacks, and also if Levi could explain like what IOTA is doing now uh, when it comes to bridges. I I will let Le Lev to go first. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> All right. Uh, just one little note um, for the previous topic about minor extractable values. So um, it's also kind of a unique selling proposition for, for the ISC tab because the way the um, batch proposals in ISC are picked via the consensus between the validated nodes, basically it's a randomized, you pick randomized from a, from a huge pool. So unless all the validator nodes are compromised, basically none of them can do this minor extractable value from there. And then once you've set the batch proposal, um, basically the transactions which you're going to place in the next block, then it's deterministic uh, that you run and verify that. So that was just a quick note for the previous uh, topic. Um, the other one was you know, talking about bridges. So <clears throat> of course there are different types of bridges. Um, one of them being the bridges which connect different networks, which run on completely different um, infrastructure. Like for example, bridging assets from Ethereum to, to, I don't know, any other chain. Or there are other bridges which basically connect chains which somehow can talk to each other um, permissionlessly or uh, trustlessly. That's the word Evaldus likes to use for this. And we at IOTA are focusing our solutions on the second approach, meaning that if the, if the uh, basic assumption you start from is that IOTA is the settlement and base layer, and all these chains are basically anchored into the base layer, but have their own little world gardens, then still we can implement functionalities on the base layer, which make it possible to transfer assets from one chain to another chain via going through the base layer. And this is what we mean by when we are saying we don't need bridges there because the bridge itself is the protocol. Now the first category, which is bridging assets from one network to another, which share nothing in common, is actually the, the bridge technology, which you usually see in, in the news, like in getting hacked or whatever because some of them are custodian, some of them are non-custodian, but it's just a small bug in, in their software and basically you can run away with their money. So my personal opinion about it is that as an engineer is that basically these are two different words and there will always have to be some form of bridging solution between these. So basically you cannot really get around the fact that there will be bridges bridging these different networks it's really hard to do otherwise. It's like the same question as how does a blockchain know what happens in the real world? Well, you need an oracle. You need an oracle to tell the blockchain what happened in the real world, but then who controls the oracle? Well, someone who also sees the blockchain world and someone who also sees the real world. And it's a similar analogy here. So um, you just replace the word oracles with bridges and then basically you get the same setting. So I don't think there are some magic solutions here. Uh, although uh, 
probably I'm wrong if, if it comes you know, like the zero knowledge technology somehow might have an answer for this. I'm not that deep into that fact, so I cannot really tell you, but I'm curious to learn uh, from other people whether if it's possible to replace those bridges which connect to different words with some zero knowledge magic. Yeah, and uh, the, the answer is that uh, if, if you share the same, if you, if you have a interchange solution like uh, IBC in Cosmos or uh, base layer in IOTA, it's, it's very easy to do bridges. Uh, there's, there's nothing, it's, it, it works because you have a shared security. And uh, the problem is that uh, those bridges are not, not very interesting bridges because at the moment, uh, I would say 90% of the value in, in the in the blockchain uh, world is captured by Ethereum. The remaining 9% is Bitcoin and whatever is left, the 1% is the other chains with their native tokens. So uh, uh, unless you have a very vibrant ecosystem and everybody is, is launching their tokens natively on a blockchain, uh, then you can avoid bridges, but uh, it's not realistic. So everybody needs to uh, bridge to the Ethereum. That's still going to be a matter chain for a very, very long time because that's just where the money is. And uh, as you said, Lev, it's it's going to be these kind of bridges between two different worlds. Uh, they are always, always problematic and you are always making trade-offs. And even without trade-offs, that's our unavoidable you can still make uh, human mistakes with the code and that's where the shit hits the fan so to say and to be honest like i i i hate bridges myself i i'm not going to touch them if, unless i'm i'm really uh forced to yeah you happy with that levy yeah I'm, I'm happy i mean i think we share the same opinion yeah <laughs> about this um just you know like thinking out loud loud like can we just use social consensus to run these bridges? Can we trust in, in any like weird world entities to only provide the bridging solution for otherwise permissionless networks? Would that be a solution which would work in the real life? And that, that's already happening. So that's basically what the uh, Binance spec'd tokens on a Binance Smart Chain are. So you're basically depositing your funds to a Binance exchange, and then you can withdraw them on the other side of the bridge. And uh, the downside of this approach is that if you want to use the, a bridge called Binance the Exchange, you are going to need to pay them a lot of money before they allow you to do that. And uh, the problem is that, okay, if you run these kind of centralized bridges, the guy who is running the bridge, they can, they can just like have a knife on your throat and ask you as, as much as money, you, money uh, you are able to pay. So why not remake them public goods? you know, like infrastructure, like roads we have in countries or, or bridges or whatever, why not declare them public goods, which is, you know, the job of the government or whatever to maintain? Yeah, that, that that's that's an interesting approach. Like, I think uh, uh, there, there might be, a, like, I think uh, layer zero uh, might be a centralized bridge at the moment. So they are, like, a truly centralized and there's nothing, like, decentralized there. So it, it, it would work, but I would say again, it comes to a, uh, it, it doesn't work in, a, it, it might work for a small, small uh, ecosystem for a short term, 
but in the end it will run to a political problems like where do you have these entities in switzerland and uh, what if united states doesn't want to play nice what if china doesn't want to play nice and uh, then it, it it it's a political problem hmm. yeah it's true everything is messy in the real world <laughs> um Another topic, uh, which I'm not very familiar with, with, probably you you could explain a little bit about Levy is um, uh, IOTA storage deposit solution to limit state bloat. Could you talk about that for a bit? Um, yeah, sure. So <clears throat> I think it's the there is a general problem in in blockchains and DLTs that you know it's by definition a DLT is a distributed ledger, meaning every participant in the network has to have a copy of the most recent ledger to be able to verify incoming transactions. Therefore, you need to have some data available at your hand. So the more, you know, accounts are created in your system, the more data you will have to keep. Uh, and at some point, this data will be just too much. So we see how fast this is growing. So many of the blockchains and DLTs actually try to implement some form of solution to this. <clears throat> some just say that we you know, want to ensure that the rate of growth is fixed. So we know when we need to up our hardware resources, but we kind of took a different approach here because we try to optimize for um, for keeping the requirements for running IOTA nodes low, low hardware resources, I mean. So what we did is we basically said, let's tie usage of this storage space available on nodes to some scarce resource, which is the IOTA token. So depending on how many or how much IOTA tokens you have, basically you rent space in the ledger. Which also means that if you want to occupy more space, you want to store more data, more accounts, whatever, then you have to top yourself up. But it also gives a total cap on the data that can be stored in the network. So right now we kind of are experimenting with different, um, different parameters of this new, what we called dust protection. It's like a historical term um, which comes from the fact that you know these small amounts still occupy data but they are so small that it just doesn't make sense that you can transfer them uh, but anyway um, let's just call it storage deposit system that's the official name now in the stardust protocol so in the storage deposit system basically the amount of data you can store for your account or your UTXO yeah, on technical level is depending on how many tokens you have in that account, um, which gives a nice properties that it caps all the data, um, but also it leaves room for us to change in the future the parameters if we see, for example, that people do not use the ledger uh, for data storage because, you know, the utilities on layer twos or, or whatever, then we can decrease the cost of, of uh, having bytes stored in the ledger. Um, if we say that there are a lot of um, lot of um, usage on layer one and blah, like the, the the state is growing so fast that you know you need um, like custom built hardware to run nodes, then we can easily just make it more expensive. So 
It's basically a protocol parameter from this point on and the cost of storing a byte in the network, uh, which I believe in the future we'll be able to tune, um, but we don't know how it is going to be used in reality. So we are trying to be kind of conservative in setting the price. Hmm. And this is this is very interesting approach. And uh, as as uh, as a, from the point of history, it's not the first chain doing like this because uh, back in uh, 2018, when EOS launched, they have the same model that when you when you open an uh, EOS account, you need to pay, uh, you need to stake some of EOS token, and it gives you a run on the EOS uh, blockchain. So uh, basically, all the state you are doing, like all the all your token balances are stored in your own uh, account RAM, and if if you if you need more of the RAM, you just pay more. So basically, it's it's a different uh, different model that the most of the Ethereum-based blockchains have, where you pay uh, as a transaction fee, and it's stored somewhere else. Yeah, like one thing. And I think I've, like yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, please ask. Please ask. No, just one thing which I wanted to add is that this deposit, like the way we are calling it, is is a deposit system because once you get rid of that data, meaning you delete it from the shared ledger, you get all your tokens back. So it's actually an opportunity cost because you know if you wouldn't have that data in the ledger, then you could use your coins for something else, doing trades in DeFi or whatever. But um, even though the solution is like you know built on this byte cost parameter, it is technically a deposit and not a cost. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the the problem is that uh, it, it's it's usually it's a cost that you can never claim back because once you start to use blockchain, uh, uh, you you are going to use it, and it's 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 rarely that you leave uh, leave leave it uh, leave it uh, uh, or you you leave the ecosystem. So, uh, but, yeah, it, but it's, I mean, it's yeah. What you could do instead is if you want to. You know, free up your deposit on layer one. You can transition your account to work only on a chain on layer two. Then you don't need it anymore. Mm, yeah, but it's it's then it's it's being paid paid by someone else. Yeah, on the layer two. Exactly. Yeah, actually, I, I mean, I found this Ethereum improvement proposal twenty twenty six and onwards, which is kind of trying to implement a similar system in Ethereum. But I'm not sure it ever made it into the protocol, did it? No, no. Uh, it, it it's like the problem with the EVM is that uh, because it it has to maintain the backwards uh, compatibility. It like all the smart contracts that were done back in the day, like 2015, is still run. So it can't it can't fix all the flaws it had it created back in the, like 2014, 2015 when it launched, and all the all the ideas that turned out to be really bad, like ERC20 token, uh, Ethereum can never get rid of. I see. Mm. Um, a topic that is very, um, very glorified within the IOT community right now is uh, the status of IOTA and the Stardust and Shimmer and all that. Um, Levi, could you talk a little bit about the status of all that? Like, where are we right now with, uh, with Stardust? Yes. So I think most of you have heard about the Shimmer beta release, which is the first manifestation of the Stardust protocol. I think it was a 
big success. We haven't had any major bugs or major problems so far. Of course, we found some um, little bugs or problems and we are constantly working on improving them. Uh, I think just today a new Hornet version is going to be released um, due to some small error in some interfaces. Anyway, um, so where we are today. So we have the Shimmer beta running the Stardust protocol and we are conducting tests and, and we actually uh, want to conduct stress tests as well on the software which we have developed so that we are kind of, uh, you know, like we know what the limits are and, and when stuff might break. Um, so that's still in the making. That's one thing. And the other thing is that many uh, community projects and also partners are working day and night on integration because we want to launch Shimmer um, when, the, when the Stardust protocol is in a state that, you know, all the partners are ready to support it on day one because what's the point of releasing Shimmer if you cannot do anything with it because the you know, wallet is not fully ready if exchanges do not support it on day one. What's the point of having like a, a cost network just for the sake of having it up if you cannot use it? So that's the about the layer one. Uh, so mainly stress tests and integration work is happening nowadays. And what I think is more interesting for many people is the state of the layer two solutions, uh, IATA smart contracts, that's what I call ISC, um, if you like that abbreviation. So ISC is actually pretty close to having a beta release. Uh, it's already been tested in alpha stage by uh, community X team members. So it is possible to spin up these smart contract chains on top of the Shimmer beta. Uh, but we so far hasn't kind of advertised this to the general public because we are lacking documentation and, you know, like end-to-end -end, um, testing and end-to-end, -end, like making sure everything works basically. So, but the beta release is right around the corner. I don't know when this goes into, um, into production, this podcast, but, you know, people might already have the, the, the ISC beta release by that time. So that is a huge milestone, which is still ahead. Of course, it does not block the Shimmer release, but that is what brings the goodies to the game. Um, all right, so what's going to happen after the Shimmer, like the ISC beta release, is that once we are confident in that as well, and, and it's demonstrated to work, um, then basically comes the next stage when we will spin up um, uh, an officially supported smart contract chain. I think it's already been disclosed that it's gonna be called, called Shimmer EVM, even though it's not just an EVM chain, <laughs> it runs IC, so you can deploy um, like Rust-based smart contracts as well there. Uh, but that is actually right now in the making to choose the validators and choose, uh, you know, how how to spin it up and also how to integrate it with existing tooling from the Ethereum world. So that's the current status. Um, I think 
people who follow the progress on Twitter has already seen a lot of a lot of the integration work come to fruition. Um, just to name a few, the Zooniverse is already having on their uh, test platform the cross-chain trading uh, live in test setting. Um, Firefly already supports native tokens. You can mint your own coins uh, on layer one. The next step is for them to integrate NFTs and whatnot. So there's a lot happening, um, but I think uh, in the short term, we will see a Shimmer and the Shimmer EVM popping up. Wonderful. And uh, Miko, do you have anything to add to that? No, no, I'm, 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 I'm looking forward for it. So uh, I, I really, really want to uh, try it out. Uh, as, as you probably guess, I'm not that interested about the EVM part. I'm in interested in the other part. Art, like how it can be better and how can uh, how can we build the decentralized applications that are a little bit more complex like what the current EVM offer mm, yeah um so my last question here is um god we're already oh, well above an hour um my question for you Miko is that what is it that IOTA is doing wrong and what do you think uh they should do different so uh, I think yeah I think Probably they should go out more often, like uh, go to the other other blockchain events, other blockchain conferences, and uh, uh, try to uh, try to uh, work with other chains, like maybe a Cosmos or somebody else. Try to uh, try to uh, not do everything everything alone, but try to find uh, some other other chains to uh, partner partner with. Hmm. And Levi, do you have anything to to go back for that? That's a really nice feedback. Um, we are already trying to go in that direction, although you know we've been kind of isolated in the past, so it's harder for us to make these steps. Um, but uh, we will try to follow this path. Mm. I think it, that's quite a long time ago, probably a year ago now. The uh, the foundation released. Uh, it was just a picture. I think it was something about bridges, but there was a picture in there with uh, like Cardano, uh, Polkadot list. I think there was a couple more. I can't remember which one, um, which I had some hope with. There was like several crypto projects coming into one and try to collaborate to make everything go better. I don't recall uh, which uh, publication you are referring to, but I think there was some was some graphics made for the introduction of this tokenization framework back in November. Maybe you are referring to that, yeah, that but could be one. it was just purely a graphical representation of how you can oh. have different coins on, on IOTA. So yeah, that's just me speculating. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, I've reached the end of the question list. Like, do you guys have any questions among each other? Well, I think we covered a lot of topics and so I don't really have any other follow-up questions. I just would like to invite Miko to try out and, and uh, this new ISC, especially the layer two solutions, because we really value the opinion of someone who has been in the space so long and built so many industry-leading solutions. So I would be happy to continue this discussion, maybe not even with me, because you know we have more advanced people in the in the foundation who are building that solution uh, about us just to name one. Um, but yeah, I'm really looking forward to this journey and 
uh, I would be really happy to continue this discussion even after this podcast. Thank, thanks, thanks, uh, Lev. And uh, I, I can, I can, I, I can probably say straight away that uh, uh, happy to help you, but I, I simply don't have that kind of time in, anymore in my hands. But what you should do is that you, you arrange, uh, you go to a. Uh, some of the hackathons, maybe one of the each series, and you sponsor a prize money there. And basically, uh, uh, through hackathons, you, you get some uh, some first developers on board on your solution. That's the best way to uh, reach out for devs. Okay, thank you for the advice. Yeah, but I, I really enjoyed uh, this podcast. Like it's been so much good information flowing back and forth, and it was a pretty easy job for me. I was just uh, sitting here listening to you guys, which uh, which was comfortable. Um, so yeah, I would like to thank you both for for attending. Uh, I think the uh, listeners are gonna enjoy this quite a lot, and um, thank you guys for listening. Get behind, get left behind. Cheers. <laughs>